welcome to Unlocking Insights, a series where we speak with company founders and senior business leaders from across the globe as part of Unlocking Ambition, Scotland's flagship entrepreneurial development program. Scott Dixon is a UA alumnus who started his career journey at just 19 years old, spending a year as a B2B sales representative for a startup commercial water supplier. However, he soon realised he didn't want to work for anyone else. Scott says the leadership course set up by Unlocking Ambition was a turning point for his business. Consequently, UA enabled Scott to invest in bringing the manufacturing of his products to Scotland. In conversation with Zoe Cantunatu on behalf of Unlocking Insights, Scott talks about navigating a route around academia, through employment and into entrepreneurialism, and subsequently founding Fox supplier of the world's most eco-friendly water filter. Unlocking Ambition is a business accelerator that provides intensive wraparound support for Scotland's most promising and talented entrepreneurs, amplifying Scottish innovations that will benefit society, the environment and the economy. With all our guests on Unlocking Insights, please remember that all views expressed are reflective of their personal and professional experience and not intended to represent their employers. Look out for other episodes in the series. For now, this is Unlocking Insights with Scott Dixon in conversation with Zoe Cantunatu. Hello, everyone, and hello, Scott. Hello. Uh, it's great to have all of you here, as always, and it's amazing to have uh, you, Scott, as our first guest in this, and kind of like to hear your story and what motivates you, and kind of like what this year has been for you and what are you looking forward in the next year so a lot a lot of different things and obviously just to say that you're always you were also part of this program last year yeah, yeah. so you, you can loved it that's it kind of like summarizing the the um experience you had but also kind of like thinking about the program and what the cohort is going through at the moment and kind of like obviously a bit different setting due to the circumstances but kind of like kicking off, I would love to hear more about you and kind of like what you do, but also your journey, kind of like what motivated you to 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 become who you are. Sure. So, I mean, Fox, just to start off, um, we're a water filtration manufacturer. So we design and manufacture water filters. And right now it's specifically water filter jugs. So you put it in your fridge or you fill up at your tap. Predominantly, I mean, we don't we don't advertise in Scotland. It's more like a kind of London and the surrounding areas product. Um, but the difference between our product is that, I mean, a lot of people in the, the chat will understand Britta. They're the market leader, 70% market leader. And they've been about since, you know, way before, way before we've been about, to be honest. And they really haven't changed much. And so the difference is those cartridges that you put in your filter jug every single 30 days, there's about 100. Well, we say 100 million in marketing just to be safe, but really there's probably over 300 million of those plastic cartridges going to landfill every single year. So it just seemed like a no-brainer to try and develop the reusable um, version because, okay, there's recycling schemes, but we all understand the difference between recycling and reusable. So we made the first reusable cartridge. You open up, you pour out the filtration media, you put in the new stuff and you're good to go again. So it seemed like such an, an obvious and simple idea for us it seemed to be a lot more harder to design than we originally mm. thought. But so that's the big USP um, and consumers are loving it. Like um, we're about four years old now. We really only launched that product, the version two with a reusable cartridge, maybe like summer of 2019 on Kickstarter. And okay. 2020, we properly started to sell it on the open market and, and it's been going really, really well for us. I think we took on over 10,000 customers last year. 
It's going well. Um, and then my general background. So, I mean, it depends how far you want me to go back, but realistically, I mean, I, I went to school in a place called Lark Hall. Um, if you know, and if you've heard the Lark Hall before, I don't need to explain it to you. If you've not heard the Lark Hall, it's very well known for um, it been densely populated by Protestants and Orange Lodges and Masonic Halls. <laughs> and me as a I want to visit fan, now for some reason. <laughs> me as a Celtic fan wasn't particularly welcome in, in the town. Um, so, I mean, I grew up there uh, being different to everyone else, essentially. Uh, found my friend Paul, who is now the operations manager at Fox. Okay. We became best pals since we were like 14. Um, he was another Celtic fan, so we found each other. Two Celtic fans in the field had to stick together. Um, so I ended up leaving school uh, almost maybe like four or five months into sixth year. So I'd got one hire and I was going on for, to get several more hires. And, you know, my, my parents and my teachers assumed that I would go on to university. And I don't know if I really assumed that. I hadn't properly made my mind up. I didn't have a solid idea as to what I really wanted to do in life. Um, but school just wasn't for me. Um, there was just several things going on. I just really struggled with the, the the social. I had a lot of anxiety as a kid and I just really thought like school was such a prison to me. Mm. And so I just had to leave out of like, I basically had to run away from school. And it was against, as I say, what my parents, not my dad, I think my dad would have always just said to me like, just do whatever you want to do, do you know what I mean? Um, he's quite a really positive person. My mum on the other side, they're, they're split up, so I live with my mum predominantly. So my mum's a bit as a teacher, and she taught me in P7. And the mentality is a bit more uh, a bit more reserved. So, yeah. you know, just finish school, go to university, get a good job. And, like, that just didn't sit with me because I thought, like, that's not that's not really what I want to do. And okay, I might be able to get a degree, but on the news at the time, all I could hear was like degrees are declining in importance in the job market. And so I thought like, really, am I getting something that's going to be future-proof for me? And it's, again, it's maybe another prison if I become yeah. an engineer or if I become uh, an accountant, like I'm in this one silo. And that just was for me, I think. Um, my personality was... Uh, like kind of creative and I, I'm not an artist or I can't draw I just mean like generally I like to do lots of different things and, and I'm not not very linear so so I left school and I got a job um, at a place called Gilmore Tools and it's a precision engineering place so I was a uh, apprentice engineer and I mean the job wasn't well paid it was minimum wage and at 17 minimum wage is like buttons right but it was enough to pay for fuel in my car and for me to drive about and that's what I loved like I was one of the first in my friends group to drive and again that was the kind of freedom thing gave me some freedom that I wasn't used to and and so I just thought if it can fund my car and I can drive about and I can go to work like I'm happy with that and I can yeah. think about my future in the future and then um, that job generally was like enjoyable um, the actual work was enjoyable I like working machines um, after eight months I was programming uh, CNC machines we used to make like tiny threaders and for, for oil industry and stuff like that um, but I didn't like the people okay. so we I ended up doing night shifts and weekend night shifts they put CCTV cameras in it became quite a you know mm. another prison <laughs> yeah another prison exactly so so I, I fled there um, and I went actually I went into sales now, my dad's in sales and 
anyone who knew me back then would have said, don't go into sales. Like, and that, this is exactly what mum said. Like, like, it's just not for you. Like, that's not, you basically, you won't be good at that. Right. And I was like, well, I didn't disagree with her, but I thought, yeah. well, I might as well just try. You know what I mean? And I don't really know where I got that. Um, maybe it's my dad that drummed that mentality in me. Don't get me wrong, he was in sales. But um, he just said, like, just go for it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? And I think at that point in life, I mean, what, what have you got? What kind of dependence? I had no kids. I had a, a car bill. I didn't have a mortgage. I had a phone bill. That was it. Like, if I make £500 a month, I'm probably breaking even. So I'm sure as a salesperson, I can make £500 a month. Um, so I left, again, a sales job. And eventually, just to skip ahead a wee bit, at the age of 20, 19 or 20, I went to a startup. It was called Clear Business Water. And basically, this was a startup within the the water supply, uh, the commercial water supply space. So, you know, the industry was deregulated in like 2012. So it used to be a company called Business Stream, which is kind of like Scottish water. So, you know, at home, you can't choose your water provider, but you can down south. So up here, it was the same with, with business. You had one business water supplier for your, your taps and toilets and stuff. It was deregulated and I went to this company who was essentially the competitor to the incumbent. And like it could not have been an easier job, like honestly, because we're phoning people who already hated business stream and were desperate to leave. We're offering them a better price, better service. It was just such a, a no-brainer, and I really enjoyed that again. Like really enjoyed the job. It was such a neat. It wasn't really particularly selling. It was like, by the way, do you know this has happened? And like, no, I never knew. Like when can you come out? So I really enjoyed that. And again, eight or nine months is becoming a trend. Like eight or nine months in, I left. And the reason I left was again, like the people were not particularly good at management um, quite fear-based um, one of the managers was a uh, potentially bipolar so you never knew who you were going to be speaking to there was like aggressive moments and then he was like your best friend and it was like I just can't deal with like the emotion like just let me work I don't care about like do you know what I mean so so I ended up leaving there but the real reason I left there was I saw an opportunity so Within that industry, it was so easy to to acquire customers, right? Mm. And that's the main thing in business. To this day, like how much it costs you or how easy it is to acquire customers is the one thing that's make or break. Everything else is is a nice to have. Well, it depends on some some different business models, but in our business model, it's massive. So I left and I set up my own um, water consultancy. So instead of me working for the supplier, I would be essentially a self-employed salesperson we almost it was called kinetic utilities it ended up growing to seven or eight staff in the office so we basically um were like compare the market but it wasn't a website it was a person so we would have four or five different suppliers that people could choose from you know whoever they chose we would get a commission mm. from that supplier like a brokerage model and that that worked really well and like it worked really well for three years i think i ran that for three years from the age of about 20 or 21 forward for another three years um, and but the problem with that was that I took on money actually raised investment and before I knew what raising investment was all about so I ended up selling 70% of my company for a, a promise for a promise of 100k and don't get me wrong the company wasn't even worth that right it was probably a great valuation at the time because we weren't profitable it was just me and maybe I had my first staff member at the time um, but I took on money from this guy, a multi-millionaire who had who had founded the water company I used to work for. So a top dog, like somebody I looked up to and I really respected. And, 
um, to, to shortcut this again, like, but this is a big part of my journey. So, like, he, we ended up falling out. Um, so we got a year or a year and a half into our relationship. So this is maybe two years into the whole, the, the, the life span of kinetic utilities. Mm. Um, he had put in the required amount of money. Um, and what our, our business plan was to go from taking our commission up front instead of putting it on like a, a residual income. So, like a, so you get more over three years or do you want it all now but we'll give you 60% so we wanted to go over the residual it took us a year to do that and it made us burn so much money that so many other competitors that come in it just became not a great landscape anymore so again the customer acquisition cost was rising every single mm. and then the only way you can scale that business is by bringing on more people so you're hoping that that's a good salesperson or like that they'll make that amount of phone calls and see, to be honest, I didn't enjoy that job. I thought I did because I was running my own business. So I had the freedom aspect, but the actual job wasn't me. It was just like the industry that I ended up being in. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I always knew that deep down, but like I tried to kind of motivate myself with like external material things. And at that age, that's fine because you know, you've only ju- you're only four or five years into actually earning money as a human. <laughs> it's quite novel. It's quite novel. And at, at 22, I think maybe at uh, 22, I had like a, what I call a midlife crisis. Well, hopefully it wasn't midlife, but like you know, it's like a midlife crisis early on, maybe a quarter life crisis. And basically, the situation I was in, and this is what fueled Fox, is that I had an office with say seven or eight staff at the time. I got myself a nice car and I was making good I was making good money, not like amazing money, but like for my age, quite a nice income. And so it ticked every box that I was really getting out of bed for in the morning. And I was like quite miserable. Like I was I'm not saying it's uh, it's probably the most miserable I've ever been, apart mm. from the first sale job I ever had. But like I'm not even gonna go into that. Like I was pr- pretty unhappy and, and I, I know a lot of people get to maybe being a millionaire and then realise, oh, the Ferrari isn't going to make me happy. But at 22, an yeah. MBA4, lots <laughs> 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 of me and, and I made that um, realisation that like everything that the the mentors or the people online were saying was actually true, that like don't chase money because it will bite you eventually. Yeah. I learned that very, very young. and So I sat myself down. I really wasn't happy. I was quite depressed at the time. I thought, like, I need to change this. I'm never going to go and work for someone. Um, I just don't. It's just going to be the prison thing again. Like, I, I want to be in control of my own diary. I want to be in control of who I work beside. Because if you don't have that option, then I, I won't enjoy it no matter what it is. I had, I had an opportunity to, there was a scout come to watch me from Aberdeen when I was 18 as well. I was a goalkeeper. And I honestly consciously thought to myself that I want to be a football player and I know that's the dream of every young boy and mine, like it was my dream my whole life. But when it became close to reality or close to potentially being reality, I thought like, do I want to be in a dressing room with 20 other guys that I've got no control under? Will I like them? Will I not like them? Will the manager like me? Will they not? Like who's really in control of my future, my income, my sanity, my happiness? It's not really me. There's so much external influence. So I felt like business was the only way where I could control that. Um, so, so where was I there? So yeah, so when I had that kind of midlife face, I thought like business is hard, right? Like, and it was it was business was throwing me about. To be honest with you, it was tough. I really, I was quite naive in business at that age. I didn't know a lot. 
but I was doing well for what I did know. I felt like, I mean, I was, we were breaking even. I mean, that's, that's not bad. No. Um, but I thought, what's going to get me out of bed for the next 25, 30, 40, 50 years if I'm going to be in business? And I thought, like, the only way I'm going to get out of bed and be happy is if, one, I'm enjoying the day-to-day, and how am I going to enjoy that? Probably by knowing that in hard times, I think in hard times you need to know that what you're doing is probably a bit bigger than yourself. Mm. At my first business, Kinetic Utilities, if, if, I, if I make this a billion pound business, what happens? I make more money, staff make more money, and some businesses save some money on a utility. How much am I contributing? Basically nothing. Yeah. I mean, basically nothing. And so I thought, like, that's not really where I want to be. So I thought, like, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to do something that contributes to, to the world. And then maybe I could survive a 50-year business career and, and enjoy it, maybe. So, and then I set out, set out to set up Fox at the time, which was called Kinetic Water. I just took the kinetic name. I, I just liked that, that, um, liked that word. But we got an IP challenge, so so really we had to change it to Fox a couple of years later. But um, I was using a competitor's product, and I had a bit of acid reflux, and I, I was I was drinking red wine at the time, like starting to get into wine, and I just couldn't hack it, hack the, the acid reflux that I was getting. So alkaline water was like a potential non-medicated cure, um, or like temporary cure, and I thought we'll try that, and it really did help. And I just was quite passionate about the product, which was an alkaline water filter instead of buying bottled water, which is obviously the, the enemy. And so that's that's probably getting you right up to 2017, where we started Fox. Guys, I loved it. Thank you so much for sharing. They're kind of like, thanks for sharing everything, kind of like even kind of how you're feeling and how you're experiencing things. And kind of like when you started talking, and it's amazing to see all these different threads, it's kind of like writing like freedom. And like, kind of like there was a few things in your story, like prison or um, kind of like this creativity and control. And it's kind of like, it's interesting to see how kind of like these things appear to you in kind of like that idea. And it's kind of like a feel there, like an overarching theme in everything you do. And it's amazing to see kind of how you sat yourself down and say, okay, how can I put this all together and mm-hmm. make it something? And I completely agree with you. It's like, you know, it's, in order to be able to go through the challenges, you need to have something that is bigger than yours because then you know that it's worth it. I think that's kind of like the feeling of like, it's worth me going through this challenge because what I'm doing is having an impact on everyone else. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, and it's it's brilliant to say, it's amazing. Kind of like question for me that came up for me, kind of where you were talking, you're talking a lot about people. How how big is your team now? Um, So we have four people, one, two, three, four people in the office and one person full-time manufacturing. Uh, Brilliant. So kind of like you were talking a bit about leaving jobs because of people. Mm-hmm. How has that impacted the way you lead your team and your business? Massively. Like I, I must have witnessed or, you know, been under a management style that um you know, there's probably three, four, five different management styles of people you can put into categories. I think I've worked for them all. The like the oppressive control freak, the um person that's your best pal to your face, but then behind your back never does what they just string you along. Um, I've seen everything and I just, I always felt like an injustice when that happened. So there was always a lack of truth. There was a lack of, um, like, see if somebody just told me, look, look, I'd love to give you X, but in reality I can't because like the business needs Y. Mm. I would be fine with that, but there was never, there was never the explanation. It was almost like you weren't worthy of, the truth, mm. I'd much rather the truth, and I would appreciate that. And and 
I just think that's the way I, I speak to people. I tell them like th there's nothing that we wouldn't talk about within the company, like whether it's like how much I don't mean how much people make as in everyone knows what everyone's salary is, but I mean like I just feel like truth has got to be the centre of what you do and then respect as well. Like I'm very empathic in terms of like I can, I'm I've got quite good emotional intelligence, so I know if someone's not feeling great or I know maybe if someone didn't like how that meeting went or how I put this across. So maybe I think that's, that can also be my weakness as well. Mm. If I really think this person not really, I wish they had done X or Y better, I would maybe avoid that. So, so your strength is also your weakness. And sometimes I need to have that uncomfortable conversation with people when I know they should do more. But in my head, I'm probably saying, oh, it'll be fine. Like, it'll get better, it'll get better. And usually it does. Like, I think giving people a bit of a... a a runway is mm. worth it, but for some people that makes it worse. So yeah. you, you know who you're dealing with. Oh, I echo, I'm, like, I'm kind of like similar, I echo that, and I kind of fake feel sometimes it's in my mind because it's like, I always, because I'm empathetic, I also feel that sometimes it's like, it's my responsibility as a leader to create the space for them to be able to do those things and thrive. And mm -hmm. sometimes it becomes difficult because you're so empathetic, you're like, oh yes, you're having a difficult time. That's why you're not kind of like doing this. Oh, well, that's kind of like, how can you help? How can you help you? And then I think sometimes it becomes difficult because it's like, maybe actually, you know, you don't have the skills. Or maybe you find this particular thing very difficult. And it would have been so much easier if we were having this conversation of how can you get more skills rather than the conversation yeah. about how you're feeling and kind yeah. of like how you're doing, because you will save time and energy <laughs> to be able to kind of like doing that. It's hard, but see, as long as your people know that you're approachable and no matter what you tell them, you'll understand their position and you won't um, you won't elevate the situation quickly. Oh, yeah. I think that's important. And, and I've worked very closely with other founders who are very volatile and unpredictable. And the their staff members have no trust that whatever they tell them will be received with empathy or with thought. Mm. It will be received with a reaction. So yeah. I think that's probably the most important thing. Definitely. What has been the most challenging aspect of your career or founder journey so far? Um, so the hardest aspect or the hardest moment, do you mean like aspect as in recurring theme? Um, I would say moment. Moment. So like, I suppose they're both similar because um, my whole career or so I've been in business since I was like 19. I'm 27 now. So that's about eight years. So I'd say the first seven years or six and a half years, I really didn't have a handle on my finances. Mm. And so like, I didn't know what that really meant. Like see if you said, oh, like if someone asked me maybe four or five years ago, I'd say, oh, definitely we use this software, this accounting software and like, I've got this accountant and like, yes. But now I realise that that's not the answer because if you took my P&L, my balance sheet and asked me questions, I'd have crumbled. Hmm. I like I wouldn't have really understood I've been able to been able to answer why this is in that column and that's in this column and so I really understood what was due and what was payable hmm. I didn't have a good grip on it and I didn't have someone there to advise me apart from an accountant and I do have a, a financial mentor but not a not a day-to-day -day, like minute-to-minute -minute help type thing and so that leads to the like times where like we generally had no money hmm. Where we were like insolvent, we were actually insolvent, and there was so we won three edge awards, and I remember vividly 
I think it was 2018, uh, we were in an office in St George's Studios and basically we had no stock. So at that point in time, this is before the version 2 with the reusable cartridge, we had to manufacture in China. We manufacture in Scotland now, but at that point we had to make it in China because that's all we could afford. And the lead time is like 80 or 90 days. So you pay mm-hmm. on day zero, you get the product in day 90, and then over the next two months you're trying to get your money back. So being able to grow was the toughest thing. We never, ever had enough cash flow to have enough stock to continue mm. to let the momentum go so it'd be like growth zero growth zero and it was like that was probably the hardest thing it was such a recurring theme again we used some loans and that kind of bridged the gap partly but there was two times where i won edge awards the young edge award and the wildcard edge award and literally i was trying to convince myself it wasn't true but i was walking into that room needing that 10 grand just to keep the doors open and i was also doing like amazon deliveries um, and this is when I had staff. Like this, I think the team was at three at that point. So it wasn't just me and like, oh, hopefully my idea survives. It was like, I need to like be responsible for these people's income. And so you're having to hide it from them because you don't ever want them to understand what's going on because you don't want to alarm them. But then you're sitting like a foot from them all day, every day. And like you're seeing emails come in or like invoices pop up. And it was tough and um, really tough. That's been, that's the hardest thing. Like mm-hmm. just keeping a level head and making sure people can't see what was going on. Actually, this Christmas, we had a, a call with a team just a few weeks ago, and I basically told them all of these stories. And, you know, in retrospect, to say, like, this is how bad it actually was. I would never have told you at the time, only because we're now in a place where I'm no longer worried about that. Like, we're yeah. more profitable, and, like, I can only see, you know, a bright future. But at that point, I just wanted them to understand, like, it was so touch and go and like well done to everyone like we got through it somehow. Definitely. Um, I want to ask, I will ask how uh, how the change and kind of like obviously for you as well. But before it's like, I think it is, it, you reminded me so much. I think it's interesting kind of like this challenge because I remember exactly the same thing for myself. I remember having conversations about two months from now, we don't know what we're going to do, how we're going to get the money, how. And then I remember kind of like having that outside of the office and I'll never forget them all, like walking back to the office and putting my hand on the handle, kind of like the door handle, and kind of like saying, like, you know, smile. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that feeling. And then you walk in and people are like, oh, in, in the summer, like four months from now, I want to take two months, like two weeks off. And you're like, sure, let's work that out. And it's kind of like thinking that, you know, it's such a paradox thing, but it's exactly what you're saying of kind of like that inability to, you don't want to scare them. Yeah. But it's like it's such an interesting balance that founders have to hold. Mm-hmm. Like all the information that you know and how difficult it is and kind of like how can you relay that back in a way that is inspirational and motivational rather than people being like my job is in danger and I need to leave how did you manage to overturn that that situation like see see if I'm totally honest and I like being totally honest I actually couldn't give you the answer to that I actually don't know how we overturned it I, I wish I could say oh we did that and I moved this about and like I was some super genius honestly I've no idea, and I don't think we should have, like, because when I when I did the what we owed, like balance sheet, right? When I did like a, a very basic balance sheet on paper, I was like, how we don't have the stock to fund that gap, we don't have the cash, even the edge money's not good enough. It was almost just like a close your eyes and just keep going. And then if somebody chaps the door and say, like, you need to close this, then I'll I'll think twice. But like honestly, it would just close your eyes and keep going and just just act as if like you're saying, like you know, before you get in the office, like you're just put, putting on a character. You're just playing a character or this this person that's like, you know, relatively happy and like everything's fine. 
Um, it would just keep going. That was it. That's kind of like, it, I like your honesty. And I actually think that there's most value for everyone who's listening, including myself, and kind of like this honesty, because I think that's it, isn't it? Like, keep going. And kind of like, if you believe in what you're delivering, and if, I think it's going probably back to what you were saying of having something that is bigger than you, that motivates yeah. you to keep going. So it is holding you there. It's kind of like the idea of keep going and it's kind of like it will work out. See, when I think back, like, I don't know if this was exactly at the same time, but I assume it was from memory. Like we, we you know, Transmit, the music festival. Yes. So we were, they asked us to go backstage and supply the water to all the artists. So obviously this year, we, last year we couldn't do it because of COVID, but the last two years we were backstage, we built this big hydration station with filters inside and our reusable stainless steel bottles where we're giving them to the artists so that they could fill up so there's no plastic waste backstage. And like everyone ended up with them on stage like Stormzy and Lewis Capaldi and it was brilliant. Like it's just really, really good fun. It costs us money, like, don't get me wrong. Like, that sounds like a great opportunity and you ask anyone who's not in business, like, that's amazing, Like you must have got so much sales, zero. Zero. Okay. Nothing. Like, because you're not allowed to use the image rights of the artist because they're paid. So if you want to do it, then you need to do it on the fly. And we have done that. And you can use it and add add copy. But, uh, but really, you're taking a risk that, like, someone comes and says, look, you can't use that. And they take it down. And so um, really, there's not much benefit apart from, like, the team love it. It's just a great, great weekend. And um, what was my point there? Yeah, so, like, we had to fund... The, it was probably five grand we had to spend on building the machine, getting the stock in and having everything ready and printing stuff. And I'm sure I phoned the bank at the time and said, look, we need a loan for this project and sold them on it. Um, you know, telling them about how big an opportunity it was. But really, I was going to use the money to like fill the gap and then somehow we'd get money for Transmit elsewhere because that was only three months away. It was honestly like filling the gaps. And that's obviously not something I'd like to speak to Barclays about and tell them. But like, I was just... Between us. anything I could to try and keep it going and obviously it turned out turned out mm-hmm. well I hope. definitely um so obviously kind of like 2020 has been a year difficult for some kind of like interesting but I think personally has been difficult for a lot of people especially because of how things have turned upside down in terms of what we knew is kind of like our lives and how it's not anymore can you share with us some of the ways in which you have personally as well as professionally adapted to deal with the impact of, of the pandemic? Personally, um, like I've been going to the gym a lot. I've always went to the gym. Um, ever since I was like 18 or 19, I've always went to the gym and tried to get a workout. It's, it keeps me sane. And um, again, it's another like progress thing. It's good for your mind. It, it clears stress and, and it's another way of seeing progress personally mm. on top of business. Um, but like that was a killer for me when the gyms closed because it was the only thing I actually had to do apart from sit in the house and, and work. Um, so then obviously I'm doing workouts in the house, but it's just not the same. It's yeah. just it's just not the same. Um, so really at the start, at the first lockdown in March, April time, um, I, I was playing a bit of Xbox at night and <laughs> really letting me switch off. So I was uh, playing GTA and shooting people and driving cars and whatever and that was letting me switch off during the day I was like literally I'm on the couch or I'm, I'm on my bed and that's me working after after April or sorry when it came in in the summer because we manufacture within the office so we've got a small pack in them in the office where we make the refill packs not not the jugs it's too big that's made in Kerlouk and then um, and packed there and sent off but the refill packs are made in house so we 
we're getting deliveries all the time. Um, I was having to fix machines here or there. So I had to be there. And mm. we were allowed to be there because you're manufacturing. You can't, it's, I'm not just getting in there because I can't be bored going to the house. Like we had to be there. So that, we had a semi-normal life, me and Paul. Um, and the, the two people at the time, two guys that were working in the, the packing room at the time. So it was semi-normal for us. So I'm grateful for that. Um, like, really, that's it. Like, going a walk, um, staying, like, Skype calls with my friends, just trying to keep a, as much of a normal regime as possible. But the positive is there's a lot of stuff that I would have been doing that was just waste that I don't, that I no longer have to do. Like, mm. It was a point, I think, maybe, like, after summer, towards the between summer and winter, like where I was, I remember having a couple of conversations with my mates saying, like, I feel brilliant. I actually felt like the best I'd felt in a long time, and I just felt I had so much momentum. And I, yeah. I think it was because, like, I really don't know why. Well, business was going well, but that it was going well in the summer as well. It was like I was in such a good routine, and I'm not really the one for routine, but because I had no other choice, I was at the gym five times a week. I was eating earlier. So I think a problem I have is I eat late and it's not good for my sleep and and the whole the whole thing. And I think I was doing some intermittent fasting as well. So I was in a great routine and it just really worked for me and I felt I felt brilliant. I had a lot more energy. So that's a mix for me. That's great. It's kind of like and, and I would assume you're taking some of those things with you now. It's kind of like, did they become your routine from now on now that you realise that they're helping you? Definitely the gym five times a week. The intermittent fasting I have been doing the last three weeks, but like I'm I generally lose weight during it. Like I enjoy it and it gives me more energy, but I lose weight because it's too easy to burn fat. And like I'm not I'm not trying to burn fat or lose weight. I'm trying to put on weight. So it's kind of like a contradictory thing for me. Gareth agrees. <laughs> uh so kind of like, you know, talking about obviously you and I have talked a bit about kind of like the impact of the pandemic in your business and you're saying how it's actually going very well right now, which is brilliant, and congratulations. Kind of like thinking about that, but also what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in your own sector recently? Um, in all honesty, like not a lot. So water filtration is massive. If, if our sector I'm I'm regarding as like the household water filter market, um just not a lot happened. Like somebody comes up with a nicer looking jug or somebody brings out a glass one, or really not a lot happens. I think on the, the plug-in side, like the 300 pound plus plug-in side, kind of reverse osmosis uh, slash remineralization systems, there's been some nice innovation there and some really cool products. I wouldn't really regard that as our space right now. We'll eventually get there. And um, so I think that there's some cool stuff happening with like smart tech apps and water filter machines that make water with different mineral content. I really like that kind of stuff. but. Our specific, like small part of the market, really not a lot apart from what we've done. Um, mm. Without sounding like you know, without trying to like, um, you know, promote what we're doing, I think it's probably the biggest innovation in the picture market in, in decades. Brilliant. Why? Why would you speak down yourself? Like you know, talk yourself down. That's it. Like if that's that's kind of like the change. That's brilliant and well done for you. What is your vision for Scotland? I mean, I'm assuming that we're going to be independent um, in the next five years. That's my assumption. Um, and I'm assuming that it's going to be like Brexit 2.0. I mean, how could it be any different? Um, whether you want it or not, and like I voted for it the first time round, the second time, I'll probably vote for it again because idealistically I think it makes sense. 
short term, I don't think it makes sense. I think it would be bad for my business. I think it would be bad for a lot of people. With it. Again, with Brexit's not going to be good for people. I don't see how the Scottish government could negate what a separation of states brings. So I think that will happen. Um, I'm hoping that... <laughs> I'm hoping that the aliens come down in the next two to three years and just give us all the answers. But without that, without that, um, not much of it will change society in society in Scotland. I would win the Euros. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apart from that, in terms of our, our economy, like I think big changes need to be made. Like um, I think if we go independent and join the EU, there might be, and I don't know if this is true, this is like secondhand information, is that um, we we would be a, if we joined Europe as Scotland, we'd be a different tier of economic support. So the UK is I don't know what the tiers are. I'm making this up, but say the UK is tier two, Scotland would be tier three or four. So we would be due more European funding for infrastructure. And again, please don't quote me on this because it's it's just someone who told me this. <laughs> um, if that was true, maybe we would have a lot more infrastructure, a lot more building, and, and it would really stimulate the economy. Um, if not, like there's a lot of ideas I have around manufacturing, how we can stimulate manufacturing because we've got such a big opportunity for a country of like engineers and innovators and inventors. But I think our mentality is contradictory to those traits. Okay. So I feel that number one, mentality-wise, we need to have a bit of a shift where it shouldn't be embarrassing to be successful at something. And I know this doesn't happen in certain spheres, but it does happen in schools. Um, maybe not private schools, but it does happen, in, especially the school I went to and the school that my friends went to. There needs to be a mentality change where we don't have the, I forget the term, you know, the, the whole analogy of like monkeys that try to climb the ladder, like everyone pulls them back down, that kind of thing. I think that really happens in this country. Um, we need to change that. But manufacturing, has there's a huge opportunity there. The government needs to find a way to stimulate that industry so that we're not relying on China for the products, I think, like China and America are going to continue to battle, and we'll probably get wrapped up in that. So mm-hmm. we need to be self-reliant. Like seventy percent of the products that we buy come from China. We can make them here. Mm-hmm. We're making our product here for a price that's give or take probably what we would pay in China when you include the shipping. So, and and, and it's, it can get better. You can bring in robotics to to reduce unit costs and stuff. Like I really don't understand the, the China pool. Like didn't cost us that much to do it we had some help from unlocking ambition and edge and and that helped us get there but like i think that's a big opportunity for us that is very interesting because i think that's an assumption isn't it that you have to manufacture in china if it's cheap and i think kind of what you're saying is the, the, the opposite is like it could be equal and in a way that's obviously better for the environment but also kind of like for me everything you say makes sense because like you know if you invest in manufacturing here it will become cheaper for everyone here because you invest you put the resources you put the technology and innovation and everything so then it could be for everyone not you individually exactly i think the big thing that china have is like cheap labor and i know we don't have cheap labor here but labor is becoming less and less important in the manufacturing chain because of lean methodology and so surely we can we can jump on that and modernize what we have here maybe electronics understand why it's Mm. tends to do it in china but like that's an opportunity David, as I said, many companies are looking to manufacture in the UK now after the pandemic. <coughs> so it's interesting to see how this trend will unfold over the, in the future. Um, we have about 10 minutes. So um, kind of like, what is next for you? What are your short and medium term professional goals? Um, right, I'll go quick with this one. So um, my personal goals short term are 
just around um, uh, like personal goals. It's really just about getting heavier. Like just it's about the gym. It's just about making progress there. Like eating more food. Like I think, see, honestly, put weight on and eat three, four thousand calories a day. So maybe making enough money to to be able to afford four thousand calories a day. <laughs> maybe that should be my personal goal. Um, uh, business. Did you say business as well? So we're, we're launching in Canada um, in this quarter. So probably end of February, start of March, we, we'll be launching in Canada. Um, that's a massive opportunity for us. So we were going to go USA. Mm. Um, I was trying to go quite this. We're going to go USA. We went to Canada because it just seems like a more stable environment and it's a, a bit easier. To, to take on, do you know what I mean? Um, so I'm hoping that the Canada can match our UK revenue within the next six months. That's brilliant. So when are you launching there? Um, pro probably end of February. That's amazing. Uh, did you have any support? How did you do this plan? How did we get to Canada? Like, so because we are direct to consumer, um, we just had to essentially, you know, duplicate our website under a Canadian domain. Mm. Um, so it's a separate Shopify site. Um, people geo uh, geo um people will be sent to there if they're in canada yeah we'll have a fulfillment center out there uh, Well, we don't have a fulfillment center it's a third party so we're just sending a thousand units over there they're going to fulfill their orders for us so it's really just like an automation operation we don't need to be there long term we're going to manufacture the refill packs out there and maybe the the actual fillers as well the, the jugs as well but yeah. pretty easy like see, to be honest it's a project that and there's work that goes into it but it's not a it's not it's not too difficult. Do you think kind of like uh, I know I have a lot of questions, but do you think the pandemic and kind of like how the whole world moved online helped you with that? Um, so what the pandemic did was force us into finding the 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 golden egg essentially for us, right? Which was I didn't assume that our acquisition costs would be cheaper through our website, through Facebook and Instagram ads, compared to what it was on Amazon. So we were 80% Amazon revenue, this was before the pandemic. During the pandemic, they stopped allowing us to send products in so because it wasn't an essential item. So we lost 80% of our revenue, had to go and make it work through the website, which is better margins anyway. You're not paying Amazon's fees and PPC. And so we are getting a similar acquisition cost on the website to what we were on Amazon minus all the fees. Mm. So that was like a... That was something I couldn't have imagined. I should have done it sooner. I regret not doing it sooner, but it's been the best thing that ever happened to us because now our margins increased. We've got like a, a runway to continue to scale the ad budget, which increases your, your revenue. It's predictable. Like it's it's like such a silver lining to come out of the pandemic for us. Uh, it's brilliant. I think I was in London and I was on Instagram and I got through your ad at some point. It kind of like up here. And I always feel great when I see ads from people I know. Kind of like how everybody tells me that. <laughs> when I'm watching and remarketing to people that are just my pals. <laughs> so, kind of like closing this off, we have a lightning round for you. So, I'll ask three questions. The first thing that comes to mind mm -hmm. uh, What keeps you awake at night? I actually sleep quite well. Not not much keeps me awake at night, but like if it does, it'll just be ideas. It wouldn't be anything negative. Um, I, I tend to be quite good at, I mean, eight years in business and like seven years not doing particularly well at it, you get quite good at dealing with stress and stuff like that. So um, I think just ideas, just ideas. Oh, what about this? Or, or we could add that. Or I never thought about this. That's, that's about it. Good. Uh, keep going with that. Uh, where is your favourite place in the world and why? 
it was Amsterdam. Um, we used to go every year, been like six or seven times. So, in fact, it still is Amsterdam because it became California when we went. Um, but now I've heard that it's a totally different place to when we were there in February. Oh, okay. um, just like the crime and all that stuff. Anyway, it's a lightning round. I would say probably still Amsterdam. And what book or podcast would you strongly recommend to the cohort? Uh, the Chimp Paradox is the book. Um, the podcast, I would say, for e-com people, uh, e-commerce fuel. And for non-e-com people, um, how I built this. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, and I will see you at the floor talking to everyone. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Unlocking Insights. Please subscribe to the series to be sure that you never miss an episode. And if you share on your social media channels, please tag us using the hashtag Unlocking Insights Podcast.